Some of you may not need this in the sense of panic attacks, but you can apply it to fear because there's nobody in the whole earth that is completely free from fear. Hallelujah. That's something all of us battle and have to deal with at some point. Now, I can't prove this because I didn't count it. But I have heard that 365 times the Bible says, Fear not, or thou shalt not fear. But I thought, well, that's really neat, God, if you did that, because that's one for every day in the year. One for every day in the year, thou shalt not fear, or fear not. So God definitely does not want us to have fear. Let's talk a minute about where does fear come from, and I bet you can guess the answer to that. Fear is of the devil. Actually, though, fear is a perversion of what God has intended for good. The only kind of fear we are ever supposed to have is the fear of the Lord. Amen? Proverbs 9:10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I have heard said, and I have said this before, that the fear of the Lord is reverential fear. It's a reverential awe of the Lord, and I believe that's so. But I also believe there's a little bit more to it than that. And I believe that we need to get back in the church to the fear of the Lord. I know there's not a fear of the Lord like it needs to be in the body of Christ as a whole, in America especially. But I believe that this fear of the Lord is reverence and respect for His power, reverence and respect for His authority, and reverence and respect for His right to judge. In Acts 9.31, Then had the churches rest through all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord. I think when you have a fear of God, your walk in life is different than when you don't fear God. I don't think you do anything you want to do and say, well, you know the grace. I'll just repent later. I think that's not having a fear of God. I believe we're to have a fear, a reverential awe, a respect for His right to judge. And He does have a right to judge anything in this earth. He does. We need to get this fear of the Lord back into our lives and into our heart. In Matthew 10, 28, I think we see this lack of fear of the Lord and respect and reverence for the Lord by the way people act even in church. About what people dress like and what they wear in church anymore. That shows a lack of the fear of the Lord. I've seen people in restaurants that I could tell they had been to church. I had seen women and they had so much showing on the top that I went, how did you go to church in that? You don't have a fear of God. I don't think you can wear it on Monday if you have a fear of God. You know, we need a fear of the house of God. Hallelujah. Amen. The same goes for not showing stuff, but also just dressing sloppy. Having enough fear and reverence for God that you put on like you're dressing for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I think that's important. And we've gotten into the casual Friday now is casual Monday through Sunday. 
I'm not saying we have to dress way up, but we ought to look nice. Hallelujah. We ought to look good for God. Now that's extra. Hallelujah. I'll try to get off of that. But I'm just trying to tell you the symptoms of not fearing God sometimes show up in those ways. When we have preachers that use curse words in the pulpit, that's not fearing God. When we have Christians that use four-letter words in their conversation, they don't fear God. Christians that are going to church and they are openly living together. You do not fear God when you are coming to church and you're a Christian. Now, if you're a heathen and you wandered into church, we're not even talking about that. You don't even know it's sin. You hadn't even figured out this is wrong. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about Christians. I'm talking about people raised in church. And they're openly living together, committing fornication, and go to church every Sunday and think that's okay. They don't fear God. Matthew 10, 28. It says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So this tells us that we're not to fear the devil or anybody, and they might be able to kill our body, but we're still not to fear him. That we are only to fear God because he's able to put the soul and the body in hell. We should have a set up and take notice and pay attention type fear of God. It is missing in the body of Christ. So we're not to fear the devil. Let me turn to 2 Timothy 1.7. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But I want to read it in the Amplified, because I think in the Amplified it gives us a description of what the wrong kind of fear looks like. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear. Of craven and cringing and fawning fear. That's not the right kind of fear. That is a demonic kind of fear. Of cowardice, timidity, craven and cringing and fawning fear. But He has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. So that kind of fear that He's talking about there comes from the devil. He also tells us there that that kind of fear is a spirit. It is a demon spirit. And he tells us that spirit, that it did not come from God. There's only two kinds. The demon spirit kind and the God spirit kind. That kind of fear is the kind we do not want to have. Now some people say that there is a healthy fear. And they'll say we need to have a healthy fear like we need to fear snakes, we need to fear fire. But I don't believe that. I don't believe we should ever teach our children to fear snakes or fire or anything. I believe what we need to do is give them knowledge. Give them knowledge, give them understanding, and teach them to respect fire. Teach them to respect snakes and those things that are in the earth. But we'd be better not to put fear in them, but to put the authority of Jesus Christ in them and teach them, now, you don't ever want to play with these things, but if you happen on one, you just take your authority in Christ and you speak in Jesus' name, and then you get out of the way. And we need to teach our children things like that, but most parents actually teach their kids to fear. So we're going to get right into this panic attack thing. I want to give you a definition from Wikipedia for what is a panic attack. You may not know. How many of you have ever had a panic attack? 
Okay? Few. How many of you know somebody or know of somebody that's had a panic attack? Okay, just about everybody raised their hand on that. So you may not have known what it was, and I'll tell you that in 1984, I had a panic attack. I had never had one before, although I'd had a lot of fears before, I'd never had a panic attack. What happened was, Pastor and I were pastoring a church. I decided I wanted to go get my hair cut on a Monday. You know, most beauty places, and especially in little towns, are all closed on Monday. I needed a haircut, so I decided I was going to drive from Seminole to Lubbock by myself, 80 miles, and I didn't have any problem with that. Didn't even think that it would be a concern. This was before cell phones. Do y'all hardly remember before cell phone? Eric was not quite three. He was two and a half years old. It was nap time for him, and so Pastor was going to mess around the house. It was Monday, and we took Mondays off then instead of Fridays. And Eric needed a nap, and I said, take the phone off the hook so nobody will wake him up. So Pastor's working in the garage. The phone's off the hook. And I'm driving along, and I get past Brownfield. I get to Meadow. That was a wide spot in the road. But there was a little convenience store there. And I said it this way because I'd never heard of a panic attack. I didn't know anybody that knew about them. You never heard about them on TV or anything at that time. They were pretty not known about. I'm sure somebody knew, but now it's everywhere. It's on Oprah and Dr. Phil, and everybody talks about it. Plus, we have the Internet. We can look it up. But I didn't know what happened to me. But it felt like I drove into a cloud of fear. That's what it felt like. And it was debilitating. It's like I couldn't go further. And so I pulled into the convenience store, tried to call Michael. Of course, I got a busy signal because he's got the phone off the hook. I'm using a pay phone, you understand, in front of a little convenience store. Then I called my grandmother in Seagraves. I told her I drove into a cloud of fear, and she said, I'll come get you. Can you get back to Brownfield? So I got in the car and gritted my teeth, got back to Brownfield. She and a friend came to Brownfield, met me, and drove the car into Seagraves. And then later he put the phone on the hook, and I called him, and he came and got me. So that was the first time I had a panic attack and um, let me give you the Wikipedia definition panic attacks are periods of intense fear or apprehension that are sudden in onset and of relatively brief duration they peak within 10 minutes and subside over several minutes or hours from my experience that pretty much is true People who have had panic attacks find that the fear of having another one or fear of being in the same situation where the attack occurred is almost, if not worse, than the actual panic attack. And I can tell you that is true. Physical symptoms most often accompany panic attacks. Heart racing, shortness of breath, stomach upset, nausea, sweating, any of those, some of those. There might be even more, I don't know. People that have panic attacks often fear it is their heart and they are having a heart attack. Sometimes they even call 911 the first time and they go to the doctor and he says, oh, your heart's fine. And by the time they get the doctor, it's over. Or sometimes they have a fear of having a nervous breakdown or they have a fear of losing their mind, that I'm losing my mind. I know when I was having panic attack, a lot of times I felt like I am losing my mind. And that is not a good feeling. Most people say it is the most intensely frightening and upsetting and uncomfortable experience of one's life. It is life impairing. When you have panic attacks on a reoccurring basis, it is life impairing. It changes your life. And it seems to come from nowhere and it is not rational. 
fear is not rational anyway, but panic attacks, there's no rational thing. When panic attacks are continued or repeated, they are called panic disorder. Now, man, there's names, there's everything, they know what to do. But this was 1984. That was a long time ago, in case y'all don't know. I want to give you a spiritual explanation. And I got this from the Holy Ghost. Something is wrong in the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. You don't even know it is there, but it's a ticking bomb. And when the stress of life comes, or the stress of life increases, it causes this problem, this wound, or this sickness in the soul to show up in the form of a panic attack. There's something wrong in the soul. These things don't come out of the blue or for no reason. Now the devil, he facilitates it. He comes in on it, but there's something in the soul that needs to be healed by God. Now to lay a little background in mind, I grew up with different kinds of fears. And I will say right now, a lot of people have a greater propensity for fear because they're sensitive in their soul. Did you ever know a child that was sensitive? Like this one, he's really sensitive. But my other child, she's not. Or whatever. And a lot of times you will see that if you have multiple children, that one will seem extremely sensitive. And so we can have a propensity for fear or have a propensity for panic attacks. And I grew up, I remember... My parents did not know any better, but it was common where my daddy would try to scare me for fun. Jump out and scare you. Or, and I know in Seagraves, we moved to Seagraves when I was in third grade, and there was this little man that walked up and down the alleys. We called him the crazy man. The kids did. He probably wasn't crazy. He was probably just digging in the trash, you know. He didn't like kids in his yard, and so if you ever got too close to his yard, he ran us all off. And so we thought he was crazy. I'd go out to empty the trash. In those days, we went to the alley. I was so shocked when I got to Alabama and there was no alleys. In Texas, we have alleys. And that's where the dumpster or the trash can is. In those days, it wasn't a dumpster. It was a 55-gallon barrel. And every for four days or so, we burned the thing in town. And so I had to empty the trash. And, and if you had scraps or something, there was no such thing as a garbage disposal. And we didn't have a dog. You had to go to the alley after supper and scrape the food into the can. And my daddy has been known to jump out and give a wicked laugh like the crazy man. Even when I was four years old, one time, my daddy was out in the yard with me, but a big old dog from the neighbors ran up on me. And, and it's amazing that I did never have fear of dogs since then. But there was still a fear coming at me. And they said, and I remember this, when my daddy got to me, I was running as hard and fast as I could run in one place. That I was not going anywhere. I was just churning. And I remember that because we went on a picnic that night and went to the river and had a fish fry. And I remember being so sore I couldn't play. Because I had churned so. Muscle tone, even at four, was not my big thing. And then my parents planted fear in me concerning their marriage at a very young age. I believe I was in sixth grade. One of them told me, we're probably not going to stay married. And so I lived in fear of that. 
I remember that same summer because they had had a big blow up or something and they told me they probably weren't going to stay married. And so I always went to my grandmother's for a month. And so, boy, about four days later, I guess they thought this would be a good time to get Debbie out of here. So they shipped me to Granny Hixie's for a month. And I stayed down there. And so I remember it was time for me to go home. They were going to meet Granny Hixie and Grand Grand in Snyder, Texas. That was halfway between us. And get me. And when they met each other, it was my daddy by himself. I was mortified all the way home because my mother wasn't with him. But I was too scared to ask where she was. And so you can get a lot of fear planted in a kid these ways. And then after I was grown pastor i'll blame this on him we were farming we lived in a mobile home this huge cloud was coming from the northwest oh i mean in texas you can see them coming and it was red it had sand all in it you know it was a red thunderstorm it was coming it was on saturday night i'm in that mobile home by myself and he flies into the driveway in his pickup. I said, you got to get me out of this mobile home. There's a tornado coming. He said, i got chemical all over me. i got to have a shower because he had been farming. So he got in the shower, and it hit, and the hail beat the roof off of the mobile home. We're in that thing, and it's going, and it was so scary. We ran through the rain and the water to the neighbor's house, and they actually let us in. And boy, when that happened, I let a spirit of fear come in concerning thunderstorms. And I was a crazy woman after that, irrationally crazy. After that, shortly, Colin was born. And I've told you this before. If a cloud as small as that came into the sky, and let me tell you something, it just doesn't ever do anything in West Texas. It rarely rains. It's just rare. We do get a little hail. Usually if it does rain, it might hail. But nothing too serious. But from then on, man, Colin was a baby, and I would pack 14 bottles if there was a cloud and put them in a diaper bag and got up in the middle of the night one time, made him take me to the awning that covered the Baptist church entryway, and we sat under the awning. I guess I thought God would protect the church. He wouldn't protect me. I had no faith he would protect me or my house, but he would protect that Baptist church. So you can see I had developed fear, and I was operating pretty high level of fear by this time. We got filled with the Spirit right after that. Before I got filled with the Spirit, I didn't have any revelation whatsoever. But after I got filled with the Spirit, I realized this isn't God, and God doesn't want me to have this. And so I prayed one day, and I said, Lord, I need deliverance, but I don't know how to get it. And I didn't know anybody knew anything about deliverance, but I need help. And so it wasn't but a few days till God sent one of my grandmother's friends my grandmother had been spirit-filled a long time before we were, and so one of her friends decided to come for a visit, and she had a book with her called Pigs in the Parlor. That was a book about demons and getting delivered. So she was just telling us about it, and I said, I need deliverance. I got to get free from fear, and she says, well, let me tell you how to do it. She wouldn't pray for me, but she made me pray for myself, but she told me what to pray, and so we right there in my grandmother's living room, we prayed that prayer, and God delivered me from the fear of thunderstorms, and I was just instantly delivered. Hallelujah. And so I was free from that. So relatively walking completely without fear until I got over to 1984. That was probably about 1980 or 81, something like that. And get over to 1984 and all of a sudden have this panic attack. But by that time, we'd been pastoring two years. And obviously, I still had some things in my soul that had not been healed, restored, and worked out. And so get under the pressure, and we were under the pressure of a new ministry, 
a new church, never had pastored before, didn't even have anybody. Now, you know, if we needed help, if you started church, there's 5,000 people I know I could call. We didn't even know what to do. We didn't even know who to call to get ordained. I cannot describe to you that in 1982, there was nothing. There was Brother Hagen's tapes and Brother Copeland's tapes and... There was nobody to ask, nobody to call that we knew. There was extreme stress, extreme pressure, had some good church members and had some not-so-good ones with ulterior motives working against us because God had done a sovereign thing. There had come a man to Seminole and started the church, and he had left after a year, and in one fell swoop, God prepared us ahead of time, told us we were going to be the pastors, but in one fell swoop, he said, I'm making Michael Billings the pastor, and I'm gone. And so we were the pastors. One Saturday morning, we became the pastors, just like that. And we had just been baptized in the Holy Ghost not quite two years. And there was a woman in the church that had wanted it, but we were so naive, we didn't even know it. We didn't even know that she wanted it and that for the next three years till 1985, she worked against us. And then we had other witchcraft going. I mean, we had two ladies that came on, sat on the front row, and now I'd just kick their butt, I can tell you. But then I didn't even know to. But now I just kick your butt. But they say, we're going to sit on the front row and control the pastor during the service and stuff like that. But you can imagine, it was just like, I would, I would. Now I'm not scared of nobody or anything. You can't scare me. But then, you could have said, boo, and I'd have jumped through the ceiling. Hallelujah. So there was intense pressure in the church. And when you put pressure on a weak spot, something's going to happen. And so I had these weak things in my soul, and we had financial pressure. We'd gone from being farmers, having all the money you could use, having money in a bag in our freezer. We want to go on vacation. We just take the bag with $4,000 out of our freezer and take it with us. No thinking about money to now all of a sudden we are on a salary. And we're selling everything in our house to survive. We sold our car. We sold all our knickknacks. And then they persecute you for that. Well, I don't know why Debbie sold all those pretty things. Well, it's called eating, folks. So had this tremendous financial pressure, all this. So this pressure put on a soul that's got some weak places in it. And I believe that that's why there's so many people now that have panic attacks. Because then it was rare. Now, because there's so much pressure in the world, and because their soul, not talking about your spirit, I was born again, I was full of the Holy Ghost, but my soul had weak places in it. My mind, my will, my emotions. From past hurts, from past wounds, from everything in the world. You just cannot imagine. Sometimes I just pray for Colin and I say, God, help him. He had such a dingy mother. He had me before I got filled with the Spirit. There's no doubt I planted fear in the little boy's heart. There's no doubt. I was more rational by the time we got to Eric. Let me give you this example to back what up I just said about putting pressure or stress on weak spots. It's just like when the doctor gives a stress test. He puts you in that stress test to find out if there's anything weak in your heart or not right in your heart because you get in that stress of that exercise, talking about body stress, it'll show up on that test. When you take that stress test, it's going to show up in that test because there's something not right in your heart. 
well, you have something not right in your soul, you get in the pressures of life and the stress of life, and it begins to show up. You know, it really showed up with me right after the first baby was born, because that was stressful. And then even after Eric was born for a couple of months, that was a lot of stress. I look back and there were signals all along the way that something needed to be fixed and restored in my soul, but didn't know it, and so drove into that. And then I started having to deal with it. Well, of course, Michael prayed for me, and actually the woman that was working against us, I called her, come pray for me. Oh, I was naive. Hallelujah. Anyway, I got prayer. I would be like, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. And he would be like, you can handle it, you can do this. And he would make me deal with it. That's how we have to have tough love sometimes. He wouldn't let me be weak. He would go to the church, and so I'd get in the presence of God, and I'd get with God, and I'd make it through another day. This went on for a while. Actually, it took several years to get completely free. You know what? I didn't have anybody to help me. Now I'm going to help some people. Okay, so I'm going to give you some root causes, and this could be root causes for panic attacks, but also it could just be root causes of fear. If you have fear in any area, maybe you hadn't had a panic attack, but you just know you are not strong in that area. Here's some root causes. Not all the root causes, but probably just some of them. Number one, fear can be planted in us from childhood or even from the womb. You got a mama that's a basket case while she's got a baby in her womb, whether it's don't want this baby, scared of having this baby, even scared of labor. Every emotion you're having while you're pregnant is right there in and with that baby. I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 12 in the Amplified. Fear planted from childhood or even from the womb. We need to know these things. When I first began to have these panic attacks, I didn't have a clue that there could be a root cause. I didn't know what to look for, where to look. I was starting from scratch. And probably it's really taken me years to figure out what was the root cause of all this. Isaiah 8, 12. Do not call conspiracy or hard or holy, or all that this people will call conspiracy or hard or holy. Neither be in fear of what they fear, nor make others afraid and in dread. We should never plant fear in our children or make others afraid or in dread, even in playfulness. How many of you have ever been played with, maybe as a child, where somebody tried to scare you? Another child, a parent, maybe a brother or sister. Yeah. In fact, I know when I was a junior high girl and we were all having slumber parties and getting together, there's nothing we like better than to scare each other, have a ghost story or have a scary thing so we could all scream and squeal. Because, you know, little girls like to scream and like to squeal better than anything. We wanted somebody to scare us. It was exciting. But I don't believe we should ever do that. Number two, a root cause can be a constant exposure to fear. In other words, being around people with fear. In Isaiah 8:12, just reading it in the King James, it reads a little different. It says, Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Neither fear ye their fear, or be afraid. So we can actually be saturated in fear by being around people who are extremely fearful. If you're raised with a mom that's very fearful or a dad that's very fearful, it's likely that you have absorbed that fear, whether it be of thunderstorms or just be any other thing. That's something we need to recognize and know. 
we're going to get to another part down here where we're going to start looking for these root causes. Number three, opening the door to fear during a time of crisis. The April 27th tornado was a very big opportunity for people to open the door to a spirit of fear. And that's what I did during a thunderstorm and a hailstorm. I opened the door to a spirit of fear. I just opened it wide up and it came in and accommodated. Number four, repeatedly yielding to fear results in a stronghold. Anything you repeatedly yield to will become a stronghold in your life. Any part of your flesh that you repeatedly yield to, it eventually will become a stronghold. So when you repeatedly yield to fear, it will eventually become a stronghold in your life. Number five, the curse of past generations passed down in the soul, not in the spirit, it can be inherited. Whether you even know your parents, maybe your mom died when you were little, or maybe you were adopted, you don't even know your parents, but the curse of the generations passed down, you can inherit fear that way, in the soul, because we inherit things not just biologically, but we also inherit things soulishly, and when you're born again, your spirit's recreated, but God never tells us He recreates our soul. He tells us in Psalm 23, He restores our soul. In Romans 12, He tells us to renew our minds. And so, you didn't get a new, fresh soul. You have to work towards that. But you did get a new, clean, fresh spirit, and your spirit's sealed, and that spirit of fear is not in your spirit, it's in your soul. It's in your mind, your will, and your emotions that's working against you. I know things inherited from the soul. I cross my feet at the ankles when I'm sitting with my feet propped up just like my grandmother did. That's in the soul. You cannot touch my knees just like you could not touch my Granny Hixie's knees. And just like I tormented her trying to sneak up on her and touch her knee, my grandkids do the same thing to me. They just love to see if they can touch Nanny's knee. And Pastor, he'll try it too. And I've whopped him more than once. You can get a kawapi kawapi if you touch my knee. Now, I got prayed for the other night by some people, and that woman laid her hand on my knee, and I said, you know, that's half the miracle right there. I didn't feel like hitting her. So those are things that are inherited in the soul. And you probably do some things. Maybe you have expressions that look just like somebody, or you do your nose like somebody in the family, and they'll say, oh, that's just like grandmother, or that's just like so-and-so, or whatever. Those things can be inherited and also not only inherited generationally curses, but they can be reinforced because not only did you get it passed down, but you got it reinforced by them exposing you to the behavior of that fear for the first 18 years of your life. So you can see where that could get just, man, it could be in you big. So number six, opening the door to demon spirits through sin. You can open the door to demon spirits through sin. There's a reason why we're not supposed to sin. Thank God there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Family, forgiveness is easy. Forgiveness is easy, but working out the things that get planted in your soul from sin are not always easy. Solving the problems of sin are not always easy. You can have 20 kids out of wedlock and you can get forgiven for it, but they're probably going to be banging on your door wanting child support on 20 kids. 
those boys, when pastor goes to the jail, forgiveness is easy. But getting free from the entanglements of sin, and of course, thank you, Lord, for grace, and He helps them, and He works with them, and He puts His supernatural power with it, and as they believe Him, they can overcome by faith, but that's what you have to do when you've lived a life of sin. Romans 6.16, I'll read it in the Amplified. Do you not know that if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do His will, you are the slaves of Him whom you obey, whether that be to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, right doing and right standing with God? Why would you want to sin? Why would we ever want to sin? Don't you know that if you continually surrender to sin, continually surrender to the devil, you become the slave of it? That first cigarette, my mom told me, I didn't even like the first cigarette I smoked. But I thought it was cool. Now, you got to understand, in the 50s, everybody in the movies smoked cigarettes. The doctors told you to. She thought it was cool, so she made herself do it. But if you continually surrender to it, you become a slave of it. Most people, their first drink of alcoholic beverage, they go... <laughs> or they go, boy, that burned. I have seen people act like it burned. You continually surrender yourself to it, you're going to get hooked. It's like, well, you know, the Bible says take a little wine for your stomach's sake and everything, but it also says in Proverbs, wine is a mocker. And I think that there's people that just like they have a propensity to fear, I believe there's people that have a very strong thing in their biological makeup where they can get addicted real easy. And you don't know that you're not one of those persons that... I've heard people say... One drink and I was addicted. I took drugs one time and I was addicted. I've heard them say that on TV or whatever. You just don't want to take the risk. You don't want to take the risk in sin. And sin opens the door to the devil. You become a slave of him. And it opens the door for the devil to bring things like panic attacks and all other sorts of stuff into your life. Number seven. Opening the door to the curse of the generations through sexual partners. We will have to go there. 1 Corinthians 6. Now, I'm not teaching this to put anybody under condemnation, but we're going to get to a part up here when we are going to get free from panic attacks that we're going to have to know what the root was. And so we're talking about what some of the roots might be. And this is not comprehensive. You might think of some more. The Holy Ghost in your life will have to reveal to you what it could be. 1 Corinthians 6.15 says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body, for two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Don't miss this by thinking, well, harlot, that's somebody you pay, and I didn't pay him. Well, there was a payoff. It might not have been money, but there was a payoff. They're always getting something out of it if you sin. But the truth of the matter is that whoever you have sex with, I don't care if it's 20 people or one person, you become one flesh with that person. And in that, you really tie yourself in the soul to that person. And whether it was legally through marriage and you were married to that person and then later you divorced, you need to break that tie. 
Oh, I've seen people all the time. They're so squirreled up. It's like, we're not divorced, but we don't live together. And it's like, you need to sever the tie in the spirit. It needs to be severed. And you can't sever it in the spirit if you don't sever it legally first. You don't want to stay tied to somebody. But sometimes they do because of income tax. That is a poor reason. There's fear. I'll tell you, there's fear. Some kind of fear is operating there. I know people more on a local level that it costs me and I'd lose my check or I'd do this. Well, you're going to have to decide whether you're going to be a sinner or you're going to be a saint. <laughs> Hallelujah. We need to fish or cut bait here, folks. But anyway, when you have a sexual relationship with somebody, now it is on the TV and it's everywhere to sleep with anybody and everybody whenever and whatever. And sometimes they wake up and don't even know if they slept with somebody or they didn't or who it was they slept with and... Did something happen last night? And you're like, you are nuts. I believe this with all my heart. When you get one flesh with somebody, then you opened yourself to every curse of the generations passed down. You're joined to them. And you opened yourself, not only the curse of your generations, but the curse of their generations. So you need to get on your face and do some severing, repenting, pleading the blood i'm telling you you need to get serious about this amen because things are past number eight opening the door to the devil through mind-altering drugs legal or not i don't care if the doctor did give it to you if it alters the mind and the thinking processes you gotta stay where the devil can't get an advantage so I'll tell you, when I had panic attacks, I know most people now, they go to the doctor and they get some sort of a pill and they deal with it that way, but I didn't. I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't tell anybody. I told my husband. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my dad. We didn't tell his mom. We didn't tell his dad. Well, there was a lot of things through the first couple of years that I just couldn't handle. I know his brother wanted us to do something with him. And I couldn't handle it, and Michael just had to say, we can't. We need to be understanding of people, but they didn't understand. You know, I had a husband. He was loyal to me. He didn't tell them what I was going through. He stood by me, and 15 years later, they're still mad. And so finally one day, because I'm past it, he tells them, Debbie, she was having panic attacks. Well, why didn't you tell me? We didn't tell you because we didn't want you to know. That's the base reason. And, you know, we don't really owe anybody an explanation of why we don't do or do something. Amen. So we kept it private. There's a balance to that, and I'm going to talk about that later. We did keep it under our hat, and we didn't tell the church people. There was times I had to grit my teeth to go to church. There was a lot of times I had to grit my teeth to go to the grocery store, but I made myself. That was just about the first year or so. After that, I began to get on top of it, but it took me more than that to get completely free. I'm not telling people not to go to the doctor, but any kind of mind-altering drugs, even if it's not for panic attacks... I've seen people come in here and they're so doped up they couldn't have received healing. They didn't know if we was at the first of the service or the end of the service. It was all legal medication, but they didn't know where they were and what we were doing. They couldn't put two sentences together. You cannot get a handle on the Word of God when you are in that shape. And your deliverance is in the Word of God. And I tell you, I see these ads on TV. I'm not going to take anything where one of the major side effects is suicidal thoughts. I'll just go be with Jesus before I'll take that. Amen? Okay. Number 
9. Opening the door through fearful material viewed or read. There's lots of books. Oh, they're on the New York Times bestseller list. And they're what they call thrillers. And they're scary. I hadn't read any of them, but I have in my past read books. This is scary. There are Christian fiction that'll scare you. I don't like it. Or fearful movies. And we certainly don't want our children seeing anything fearful. I appreciate Eric and Anita have really guarded Andrew. In fact, I've been gotten on to a couple of times because I'd say something about he was scared. Nanny, we're not scared. We're brave. I said, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't even get to say the word scared because Andrew is not scared. He's brave. Amen. Hallelujah. I asked for I give him a movie. Well, even we got to Toy Story, was it three? And she says, oh, no, there's a scary part in that. And so we're not doing Toy Story 3. We just do Toy Story 1, Toy Story 2. I appreciate that they're gardening, though. Okay, opening that door. We don't want to open the door. Let's talk about getting rid of panic attacks, okay? And I'm going to give you some ways to do that. It was important that we find out what the roots are because we're going to need them in this part. Or getting rid of fear, we could say. Number one, go for the root of it. I know when I first had that panic attack, I just wanted somebody to lay their hands on me and deliver me. I don't want to go through a process. I believe somebody gave me a word and said, this is going to be a process. I didn't like it. I didn't like it none. But it was a process. I just wanted somebody, I was like Naaman. I just wanted somebody to wave their hand over me and <laughs> deliver me. I wanted free of that because it was the devil. They are not fun. The truth is, I needed to go to the root of some things. And that took some time. Matthew 3.10, that we need to put the axe to the root of the tree. Amen. In Matthew 8.26, if you'll remember, Jesus was asleep in the boat. The storm came up and they became very afraid. And they came and woke him up and they said, Master, wake up, we perish. And he got up and he said, Why are you afraid? O ye of little faith. And I think Jesus wants to say that to us sometimes. Why are you afraid? I think we need to ask ourselves, why am I afraid? And go figure out what it is. What is it that I'm afraid of here? Sometimes that takes some time. Because if you'd have asked me that that first day, I'd have said nothing. But then as I began to get before the Lord, I found things in my life where fear had been planted. Number two, acknowledge the problem. You know, the problem may unfold over a period of time as you pray and seek God. And as God shows you something, repent and receive forgiveness. Every time God shows you even a little thing, and this is just good for life, folks. If God shows you even a little thing from your past, repent, receive forgiveness. And if it's not something you did, but something that somebody did to you, then apply the blood. Lord, heal me of that. And I put the blood on that. And Lord, heal me of that wound. Revelation 12, 11 says we overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb. So apply the blood. Apply the blood. When something was done to you, if somebody jumped out and scared you and God brings that to your remembrance, don't say, oh, that really didn't bother me. I know when I was a kid, I played with a Ouija board. God brought that to my attention. I remember at a slumber party one time we had a seance. And we tried to levitate somebody. I don't know if my remembrance is good, but it seems to me like it kind of worked. I'm sure the devil was there to accommodate us, but boy, when I got filled with the Spirit, all of a sudden I saw that stuff and I repented. Oh, 
Lord, Holy Spirit, forgive me. I am sorry. And Lord, I cleanse myself with the blood from all of that. And I renounce it in Jesus' name. Everything of witchcraft. And then me and Pastor were in Eastern Star, and he was a Mason. We didn't see it when we were just Christians. It was like, there's nothing wrong with this. Boy, I renounced it. I repented. I broke my Eastern Star plate. He ground my gavel up where I was the worthy matron. We asked to be removed from the roll. And they said, oh, no, no, no. Just let your dues lapse and stay in, though. And we said, no, you take us off. That wasn't popular in 2,600 people, which was the size of Seagrave. For three years after we got baptized in the Holy Ghost, we gave them something to talk about because we were going after God as hard and fast as we could. I bet I had 50, I did have 50-something owls. Owls were popular then, which now, guess what? Big decorator item, owls. They were real big in 1980, and I had a big collection. I didn't see it, but I got filled with the Spirit, and I said, I don't want these things in my house. And boy, I started chunking them and breaking them and throwing them in the dumpster. That's the bad thing about the dumpster, is the neighbors went through it and said, oh, Debbie broke all her china. They thought I was losing my mind, because there's all this broke glass. And I did lose my natural mind and got my spiritual mind. Amen. So you got to do what you got to do. And that reminds me, sometimes you just need to get things out of your house that can be causing fear, because demon spirits attach themselves to Buddha and anything like that. And that's a popular thing to use with decorating, is a Buddha. The ugliest thing I ever saw in my life. I don't know why anybody would want one. You'd have to be deceived to the third power to want a Buddha in your house thinking he was pretty. And there might be other things. You've got to let the Holy Ghost lead you and show you. I was cleaning out, boy, at my house. And things can creep in. Movies can creep in. You can let your kids have the music they want if you want to. But I told somebody this week, Van Crouch, he's a motivational speaker, but he also preaches in churches. And he has a sign he said when his kids were teenagers on his refrigerator, it said, my way or the highway. We're just too scared now. I need to cast the spirit of fear out of some of y'all. Y'all are afraid of your kids. And you're afraid of the government. Number three, build a strong foundation in the Word of God. This takes time, but is the only true way not to fear. Especially build the who you are in Christ. In Isaiah 54, 14. I'm going to go there. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. One of the ways we stay free from fear is to get established in righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I mean knowing it and believing it. And you do that by finding the scriptures and speaking them over and over and over until you are just strong. And don't walk afar off from God. You know, if you're a Christian, but you're walking as far away from God as you, you need to stay real close. Because when you walk afar off, the devil is going to jump on you. Whether it be with sickness or disease or whether it be with fear I will tell you, though, that could be a reason, but that wasn't the reason. I wasn't walking afar off. I was walking as close as I knew how. I didn't know a lot, but I was walking as close as I knew how. Okay, number four, know that you are going to have to fight the good fight of faith. Like I said, I wanted somebody to wave their hand over me. Cast it out, pray the right prayer, do something. But, you know, I would tell anybody today facing a panic attack, I would say, you know, you need to recognize you're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. We can help you. We can pray for you. But bottom line, we're not going to be there in the middle of the night when it tries to hit you. 
1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. you got to lay hold of it for yourself. Eternal Zoe. Number five, defeat fear with the word. Find the fear scriptures. Thou shalt not fear. There's 365 of them we heard. Find them, speak them out loud. Build them into your heart. Matthew 7, 24 says, The wise man builds his house upon the rock. The wise man builds his... And that's not just talking about being a Christian, folks. How many people in the world, Christians that you know that, they aren't very wise. They got saved, but they didn't do anything after that. They're not building on the rock. They don't have a foundation of the Word. They couldn't find three scriptures on their own. And the Bible says the foolish man builds his house on the sand and the winds come and it blows it away. And sometimes the devil blows our house away because we really are young Christians. We hadn't had time to build too strong on the rock. But boy, we need to be building on it every day. Number six, choose not to fear. I want to tell you, when you have a panic attack, remember it's just a feeling. That is one of the things that helped me the most is I would go, this is just a feeling. It don't mean nothing. It's not truth. There's no truth in it. This doesn't say anything about me or to me. It's just a feeling. And then take every fear thought captive with your mouth. Revelation 21.8 says that all the fearful are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. But what it's talking about there, it says the unbelieving and the fearful. Fear is really just unbelief. When you have fear of finances, you just have unbelief if you want to get down to the basics of it. If you're afraid of cancer, you're in unbelief. If you're afraid of whatever, it's just unbelief. You just aren't fully trusting God in that area yet, and you just need to build some more. You just need to build your house on the rock some more. When we choose not to fear, we need to get to the place where I'm going to believe no matter what I feel. Bless God, the word is true. I hadn't been given a spirit of fear. I don't care what I'm feeling right now. It is just a feeling. Number seven, because this is the last one, ask for help. Now, a while ago I said don't tell. You don't need to tell anybody that can't help you. Chances are your mama can't help you. No matter how much she loves you, she can't help you. If you have a mama in here, if your mama can help you in here, you are one in a million. Now, she can love you, and she would die trying to help you. I don't deny that. But she just doesn't have the spiritual whatever to know how to help you. So say as little as possible, because they're going to misunderstand it. I didn't mean that ugly, but do you get my point? So ask for help. Don't be ashamed, because pride will feed fear. You know, really and truly, pride is just another type of fear. Pride says, I really care what you think about me, and that's just fear. But don't hesitate to ask for help from somebody that can really help you. You can ask me and Pastor for help. We know how to help you. And I would call him and ask for help. Sometimes I have called him when I was driving and something would try to hit me like that. I'd call him and say, you're going to have to walk me through this over the phone. And he'd just start talking to me, Faith. Pretty soon I'd just, okay, I'm okay now. I had to learn I don't have to fight all my battles by myself. The devil wants to isolate you. So call right in the middle of whatever's happening. Call right there and say, walk me through this. Or talk faith to me. I'll end with this. So what about drugs and medication? You've got to be led by the Spirit. But I will tell you this. Drugs only manage panic attacks. 
They do not deliver from panic attacks. But the Word, the Holy Spirit, that's your deliverance. And it may not have the instant effect that a drug will, but it will be a lasting deliverance, and it won't have any harmful side effects whatsoever. In fact, it'll make you a very strong Christian. While it's getting rid of fear and panic attacks, you'll become a strong, strong Christian. Amen? So praise God we got to help some people. Amen.